Welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. As you know by now, this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. In each episode of Behind the Decks, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode is a returning guest and a very important person in the journey of Vent and the podcast. It has been three years since I first checked in with him when we were both in very different places in our lives, our mental health and our careers. Lockie Dalton aka Jar Funk was the first ever guest on my Behind the Decks series. I had no music contacts in the industry and I simply emailed him to ask if he would come on the podcast because I was such a big fan of his music. I actually cringe a little bit listening back to that first episode because I definitely audibly fanboyed quite a bit during the record, which Lockie was very patient with me about. And since then, not only has the series gone from strength to strength with big guests and really important stories, but so has Lockie's music career. He's massively increased his social media following through some fun and creative content, cover videos, clips and DJ sets. He's put out his first fully-fledged EP, Weekend Love, collaborated with the likes of Young Franco, Cosmos Midnight and Mark Knight and he has got a load of great plans for the future. In this episode we discuss that continued music journey, why he felt Berlin wasn't the right place for him to succeed musically and why he decided to move to sunnier climes in Lisbon in Portugal. We also talk about the pressure he sometimes feels to post continuously on social media. For Lockie's mental health, we discuss the moves he's made in his life to surround himself with the right people when he moved to Portugal and the improvements he's made to his physical health and the benefits that's given to his mental health. We finish with a smaller section where me and Lockie talk about our growth as people. Lockie asked me a few questions about Vent and my life and the three years between our first episode to now. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go back behind the decks with Jarfunk. Which is a very special moment for the Just Checking In pod and Behind The Decks because we are welcoming back Lockie. Welcome back to Behind The Decks. Thank you so much for coming on, letting me check back in with you. It doesn't feel like three years since we last did that episode. You can actually see me this time. Well, you can, but the listeners can't. But you can <laughs> see me instead of a, a waveform on a computer screen. How are you, mate? How are you going? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, like you said, three years. It seems to have the time's just whipped by. Lots has happened. But now it's good to be back and to sort of do an update on the one of the very first podcasts, I guess. Yeah, excellent, did. mate. We've got loads to talk about. Your career's gone from strength to strength. I won't take too much credit for that, despite the fact that you came on. <laughs> so without further ado, are you ready to start the show, mate? I'm ready. Let's start the pod by going back into your music journey as Jar Funk once again, mate. So tell me first and the listeners what you've gotten up to since we last spoke. And the journey to where you are now is Jarfunk. Yeah, so three years ago, wow, there seems to be a lot that's happened and also like not a lot at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, I released an EP in 2021, which was a big thing for me because up until then, I'd only really released singles. So it was great to put time and effort into releasing a collection of songs that had some cohesiveness to them. And it was really something that I was proud of as well to just get my first EP out and and do that. So um, that was one of the main things. I've also, I think maybe at the time I just started full-time music. So I was very much sort of in the discovery phase of that and just learning how to make it all work. I really believe now that I can make it a, a sustainable thing and something that I can do as a career. So that's been a, a pretty massive development. I've moved to Portugal from, I think last time I was in Berlin. Yes, I moved here at the end of last year and I'm really enjoying it here. And yeah, Played a bunch of shows. Yeah, I guess that's the key. That's the key points. <laughs> I've done some remixes stop tour, as well. Mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, done a bunch of remixes as well and got some new music coming up this year mm. as well. When COVID-19 hit, mate, this was about a year after I think we did our chat maybe, maybe a little bit more. As a producer, you were already suited, I guess, to sitting at home and working on music. However, mm. you used the opportunity to take up playing not just one instrument, 
but two instruments in the bass <laughs> guitar and the electric guitar. Tell me why you made that decision, how it's helped your music career, because I imagine it saves you a little bit of money when you don't have to pay session guitarists to record chords anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, to be honest, that was one of the main reasons behind it is that like I'm naturally quite an introverted guy. And as you said, you know, I'm happy to sit at home and just do my own thing. And I actually build and generate energy from being alone. So it wasn't that hard for me to just knuckle down and, and do that, something that comes quite naturally to me. But yeah, I had worked with guitarists and, and bass players before, and it's always fun. You know, there's definitely positives to it. Like you can get a, a fresh ear on your music and inject some new ideas that you can't think of yourself, which is awesome. But yeah, then you're also then sometimes you got to wait around for people to send stuff. Like it can be difficult to get exactly what you want. So for me, it was almost a in my mind anyway, it seemed like the easier option was just to, to spend years learning <laughs> learning the bass and the, the guitar. longer term, cheaper option. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm one of those annoying people who can kind of pick up stuff quite quickly as well. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, within within about four to five months, I or I think even less, I'd already started being able to use what I knew, which was very limited. I still think what I know now is quite limited, but I was able to use that in in my productions and, and make some songs from it. And a lot of those tracks from that EP that I just mentioned, the Weekend Love EP used, you know, bass that I played and, and guitars. It was very chopped up and I had to do about a thousand takes for each thing. But yeah, I was able to sort of pick it up quickly. And, and COVID, I'm sort of a firm believer that every situation that's presented to you can, you know, you can either interpret it as a positive or a negative, no matter how bad it is. And, you know, no doubt some situations are very painful, but you know, COVID, I looked at it as like, well, I'm not going to be touring for a while, I'm not going to be meeting many people. So I think it's the perfect time now to buckle down and just to learn some new skills so that once it's over, I can, you know, I can come out and have some new skills under my belt. Have you always been able to turn a negative into a positive like you did there? Um, I don't know if I've always had that skill, but it's certainly something that I've developed through my early adult years from like 18 to 23 or whatever I've was when I started getting into, you know, learning about mindset stuff. Yeah, I think it's something that I've I certainly learned how to do early on and I've carried through up until now. So the COVID-19 period, I think, affected many artists and it affected their songwriting as well. Did it affect your songwriting or were you able to sort of insulate yourself from that and still produce, you know, the feel good stuff that you do now? Yeah, I mean, it is difficult. Like for me, it was difficult in the sense of it kind of sucks creating music in a stale environment. And not being able to, you know, play the songs out, gauge how people are reacting to them. Because, you know, that's such a joy of being an artist is seeing how, you know, people actually react to and, and take in your stuff. But yeah, also for me, like a lot of the music that I created in the past and my, my process normally is just staying at home and, you know, making songs on the laptop. So yeah, not a lot had changed, to be honest, and it, it didn't feel massively different. But the, yeah, like it also wasn't great to not be able to meet up with vocalists or other musicians and stuff and, you know, get that injection of outside energy into the music, which can sometimes, I've had tracks where I've finished the whole beat myself and then I was on the verge of throwing it away. Like Pleasures with Dirty Radio is one of these songs, like I'd had the beat done for a while, I'd sent it around to a, a few vocalists and no one was really biting on it and then eventually those guys came back you know I was at the point where I was like oh I'm sick of this beat now like I'm just gonna put it in the the graveyard folder where all the the demos that don't get vocals on them go <laughs> so many artists have that graveyard <laughs> folder <laughs> yeah but yeah when they came back with the vocal it really just revitalized the whole song and sparked that energy into it which allowed us to get it over the line so yeah not having that and not having that fun just interaction with with other people making music was definitely tough. The other big step that you took during this period was a big increase in your social media content creation, your presence, which has paid off really well. So you started off recording clips of you, like learning the, the guitar, as you said, and that kind of nice progression and journey that you did. But mm. then you also ended up investing in a talk box and recording 24K Magic <laughs> covers. So how did that go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this yeah, this was all during COVID as well. And it was just one of those things where it was like, well, I've got all this time. I'm at home. Like, <laughs> what else can I do? You know, like, I've... try and be Chromeo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just really go for it here and, and learn some new skills. So, yeah, I got a talk box. I got like a green screen as well and made some fun content with that. And yeah, I was just trying to like have fun and make the best of a, a bit of a shitty situation. So, 
Yeah, yeah. And the social media content part, that was a big thing as well. Like I think, you know, before COVID, I was around two or 3,000 Instagram followers and and then I managed to build that up to about 8,000, I think, over the course of like six months. And that was also around the time when Instagram brought out the Reels feature and they were really pushing that. And like, I guess the algorithm at that point was allowing for content to go a bit more viral. So I tried to take advantage of that. And yeah, it's just it's just a part of the business now. If you're an artist or any sort of online presence, you need to have that social media thing. And to be honest, I don't really enjoy doing it that much. Like I still have <laughs> who I still, does? <laughs> I, yeah, I still have fun with it, of course, and try to you know try to enjoy it as much as I can. But it does definitely feel like work a lot of the time. Yeah. So yeah, I just was like, well, you can either fight the trend or or kind of go with it. And I felt like I would just try and you know find a way to make it fun for me and. And just to, yeah, put my personality out there mm. a little bit more. And how do you strike that balance? Because a lot of artists, like you said, are doing social media. They have to do it because they have to build their presence. But a lot of artists are now, because of that, doing a lot of very similar stuff now. You know, a lot of artists host their own bloody podcast now. <laughs> yeah. It sort of comes in phases for me. Like there's periods of time where I, you know, I'm really good with my content and I do like one or two a week. But then recently, like I've I only just put out a few new bits this week because I had a new song come out but before that I don't think I'd done anything for a month or two so it comes in waves and yeah I mean I just try to the way I've been doing it lately is I have been doing less but trying to put more effort into each individual thing quality over quantity yeah yeah, exactly which I guess the style now is probably opposite you know Mm. like what works online is to actually do more and make it really rough and like that's particularly on TikTok, you know, the style of stuff there is is definitely more rough and like raw stuff that you actually spend ages on sometimes doesn't do that well. So yeah, it's it's a tricky one, but I find stuff that has done well for me on TikTok is uh, things that I've put a little bit of effort into and I've sort of found now a little bit of something that seems to work and people seem to like. So I'm I'm kind of going with that. Yeah, that's been my thing lately It's just been making stuff that's good and yeah, just trying to spend as, as little time as possible <laughs> while still putting effort into it. Before we have an update on your discography, in our chat off air, you spoke about trying to find this balance between producing the music you love versus staying financially afloat. So mm. when your music hobby becomes the full-time hustle, as you've brilliantly been able to do, how hard a balance is that to strike? Yeah, it is It is a tricky balance to strike, you know, because obviously you've got to pay bills, you've got to pay rent. And unfortunately, like artist projects, particularly at the beginning, they don't make any money. You know, they actually cost a lot of money to, yeah. to get this, you know, just to get the songs done. And then you've got to promote it and, you know, get some artwork done, make, you know, videos and all that stuff. And it costs money. But luckily for me, like even before I started doing music full time, I had my artist project going for about five to six years. And I managed to build up a little bit of a, a following online and people knew about me within certain circles. So I was able to, you know, leverage my name to a certain degree and, you know, with the sample packs, like those sample packs were godsend really, the ones that I did (laughs) with Splice, they've kept me afloat for ages. But yeah, something I think about is before I started doing music full-time, I was a tennis coach and that was a great job for me because it allowed me to work 20 to 25 hours a week and still have enough time to, to do music. But at the same time, I really didn't like that job. <laughs> it was not my favorite thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there in the same situation who, you know, you may be just doing a job, you know, just to get by and have money and stuff. But, you know, if you could dive into your passion, then you, you probably would. So, yeah, within music, there's things I do like sample packs. I do mix downs and like mastering production for other artists as well, which is which is definitely more fun. Yeah, I try to sort of spend half my time doing things which are purely money based and then the other half doing music and I kind of rationalize that by thinking I'd much rather be doing some of these music things which I maybe don't enjoy that much but to be able to just be still in music and doing yeah you know music stuff and working from home having the freedom to you know be my own boss kind of thing I much much prefer that than you know going back to the courts and 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 getting back on the coaching game. And, and teaching a lot of rich, uh, spoiled kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm st- I mean, I'm still trying to find the best way to balance that. And that's been one of my themes over the last couple of weeks is like things have definitely, I've been focusing more on the money side of things than I have on the, the actual stuff that I'm passionate about. So yeah, I'm trying to swing it back the other way mm. a bit. The key question you posed 
I guess to yourself and perhaps to me off air is when you said how much music is enough. So have you found the answer to that yet? Uh, I haven't found the answer. No, <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Yeah, I think just as much as possible, really, like as much as you can manage to get done seems to be good. Like, you know, everyone at the moment seems to like one release a month still seems to be the, if you've got something to aim for, that's about what it is. And it's also, yeah, it depends on each individual person. You know, if you're a band that does an album and then tours for a couple of years, you know, then, you know, your answer is going to be different. But for like in the electronic music world, I think just having stuff coming out consistently. Steadily, yeah. Yeah, yeah. steadily is, is something that works. But for me, like I've had my first song of the year come out now in May a couple of days ago. And then I've got stuff lined up almost once a month until the end of the year. So I think, yeah. It also depends on, like, you can sort of stay consistent in other ways. Like, by maybe you post more mm-hmm. rather than releasing more. You can just be posting on Insta and, and TikTok and then maybe release only a couple of songs a year and that seems to work for some people. So, again, like, quality over quantity could be could be something good. But for me, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to go for five to six songs this year. That seems like a nice amount for me. Let's talk discography now. So, like you said, the big news that's come in the last couple of years is that you put out your first fully fledged EP weekend love. So from a professional perspective, how big a moment was it? And also from a personal perspective? Yeah, it was a big moment. Yeah. On both fronts, really. Like I always felt like when I first started making music, that it was a, a huge accomplishment just to even get one song done that I was happy with. So to be able to get to the point where I, I only did three on that EP, but just to get three sort of cohesive songs out together was a, was a big moment. And it was, you know, in the moment, you don't really acknowledge it because you're just so focused on getting it done and then promoting it and then, you know, what comes after that. I didn't really take a moment to think about it so much. But, yeah, on, on a professional front, it was great to say, like, look, I'm, you know, maybe a bit more of a serious artist now. I've, I've actually got a body of work that represents me as an artist rather than just these one-off singles, also, like, collaborating with other people. So to have a something that was purely me on the production, basically everything. I, I had some session players like horns and stuff, but to have all the tracks produced by me and mixed and stuff was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, personally, it was, a, it was a good thing too, just to be like, if you put your mind to it, you can actually do that. You know, it's quite a simple thing, but it was something that I thought about. You know, I saw other artists releasing EPs when I was first started producing. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'd be ever able to do that. Like I can barely get one song done every six months. So just to be able to say like, no, you can do it. It was a bit of a confidence booster as well. Well, who knows, mate? You might get on a uh, SG Lewis type run now with a few EPs and a debut <laughs> album. So Wow, that's a pretty stratospheric run there. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing that for eight years about on and off, hasn't he? So yeah. that's a pretty good run. I saw him live in uh, London for the first time and he was yeah bonkers good. Yeah, he is sick. You've also put out a batch of great new singles. So you've worked with some really amazing artists, Young Franco, I Saw Live a few months ago, Pell, Nana Be Cool, Nick Hansen, Dirty Radio. What were these like to make and which one was your favourite to work on? I know that's obviously a tough question. but <laughs> Yeah, they're all very different tracks in terms of yeah the way they were made and, and just the tracks themselves. One that does stick out to me is, is Fool For You. That's probably one of my favourite tracks I've ever produced. I think just because I, like, I went in with an idea of the kind of sound that I wanted and that one, I really felt like I nailed exactly what I was going for in that. Like it was sort of just a funky R&B cross like hip hop type of vibe like in that Anderson Pack kind of realm where you got, you know, funky dance groove, but then also, you know, rap and singing over it. That one was super fun. And the way that came about was quite organic as well. Like I, I was in Berlin. I got recommended by another friend of mine, Jan Pastel. Yes, friend um, of the pod who you connect to with. Yes, yes. <laughs> he recommended that I get in the studio with Nick and he connected us on Instagram. And so I met up with Nick on the first day and we did a, another track, which nothing's ended up happening with yet. But then we met up again on the second day and he rocked up at the studio and he was like, oh, I've, I brought this friend of mine from New York with me, Nana. I was like, oh, cool. Like we met and then we went in the studio. I'd kind of prepared a, like a drum groove before I would came in there. And then we got in there. I started playing the drum groove, laid down like within, you know, the first 10 minutes a baseline idea. And then already as I was doing that, you know, Nick and Nana were sort of going back and forth and writing stuff and, and like, Nick in particular is so fast at coming up with ideas. Like I think within 15 minutes, we'd already got like the first verse down. He'd laid the hook down. 
and then Nana was already getting his verses on. So the whole song was pretty much made within one hour. And it was just the, because <laughs> as they were writing, I was also adding other parts. Like I'd added some synth parts in there and yeah, like effects and stuff. So, you know, by the time they said, yep, we're ready to record our verses, like most of the beat was already done too. So yeah, like that session, I think went for maybe two hours max and then we were out of there. So it was also a lesson of like, I think sometimes the best things can happen really quickly. You know, don't think about it, just really go for it in the moment and whatever comes to you in that moment, just get it down. And it can't always happen that way either. Like, I don't think you have really any control over how long a piece of work takes a lot of the time, but this was just one of those ones that seemed to, yeah, seemed to happen so fast. Mm. I've heard, I've heard the same thing about a lot of the great songs of all time. They've happened very, very quickly. So that was one of the first times I felt like I've, tapped into that magical energy, the zone. whatever it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the music zone, yeah. Exactly. You've also got to work with some pretty big artists, not just them, but other big artists in the last three years, you know, the likes of Cosmos Midnight. I saw them live a few months ago. They were absolutely brilliant. Snake Hips have been around for years. Mark Knight, decades. How yeah. big has that been for your own professional self-esteem and confidence in your place in the scene? Yeah, yeah, massive, massive. I think out of those names you just mentioned there, Mark was the first guy to reach out to me. That must have been a couple of years ago now as well. And the way he'd actually found out about me was through those sample packs on Splice. He sent me a message on Instagram. He's like, hey, mate, I've just got to let you know, like I've been absolutely rinsing those packs on a couple of remixes (laughs) that I've done lately. And I'm working on an album now. Like I'd love to have you do some, you know, original stuff for the album. And that kind of blew me away because, you know, one of the first, kind of sounds that I got into when I was into house music well I'm still into house music but when I house music like I sort of discovered it was Tool Room and there's a song called Downpipe I don't know if you know that by Mark Knife I know I know Mark Knight tunes but not that one okay and that was one of my favorite songs you know when I was like 18 years old so to have known him for basically 10 years and then to have him message me was like it was a crazy feeling so so that was awesome. And then, yeah, same with the Snake Hips guys. I worked with them on a, a track on their album that's just come out called Girls, and uh, or Pretty Girls, actually. And, yeah, crazy as well, just to have known their music for a while. Like, I love their remix. There was, like, a remix of The Weeknd, Wonderlust. Yes, which was, yeah, one, uh, that was their viral moment, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that was about that. eight years and ago then, now. That, nine yeah, years they obviously ago, had all my friends. Tinashe, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like every time I, I get a message from someone like that, it still kind of blows my mind. Like, wow, they, they actually like my music? This is this is crazy. So, yeah, I find often you, you obviously like you listen to your own stuff quite a lot and you can get sick of it. So yeah, sometimes you lose that. Yeah, just that sort of like... Perspective, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. perspective, yeah. So no, that was awesome. And then Cosmos mm. Midnight as well. I've, I've been working with them on a few tracks for their next project. So yeah, very exciting. Excellent. Before we reflect, what plans can you tease for the listeners production-wise for the future? Maybe a new EP, but perhaps even the Jarfung album in the future. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there's no album plans yet, unfortunately, but it's something, yeah, it's definitely I'd like to do. It's like in the back of my mind as a, you know, as a career goal. But for now, yeah, I'm working on an EP at the moment. I'm hopefully going to have that or some of the first tracks of that out later this year. And yeah, the other ones are still being finished off. So that's going to be the next big thing for me. And and I'm also potentially going to be starting a, a label of my own as well. And I'm hoping that that EP will be the the first release of that. So that's uh, that's what's on the horizon at the moment. And as a final question, mate, before we move on, in this continued music journey as Jarfunk, what has it taught you about yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, there's so there's so many things. The first thing that came to mind though just now was you know, just how important persistence is and just to keep going, you know, like never give up. There's there's certainly going to be times where, you know, you're frustrated and maybe you can't make anything that you like for a long time. But I honestly believe with most things in life too, like I'm pretty big on fitness and I've had the same thing there. You know, if you just keep going, if you keep rocking up to the gym and even if it's only for a 30 minute session, sometimes like you really don't want to go like just that consistency is is just so powerful because you never know when something will come along that's going to spark some inspiration or some confidence that you need to get along to the next thing. And particularly in music, you know, there was times where I was like, oh, I don't know if I, you know, if this even makes sense, like what am I doing here? You know, I don't feel like my music's really connecting with people. And then, you know, you just keep making music, maybe try out some new ideas and then 
you know, recently I've, I've sort of switched up my sound from for a long time. I was sort of playing in the mid-tempo, like Catronada. Mm. The dance R&B, I think, is the yeah. right phrase. Yeah, yeah. Or future exactly. R&B, what Bondax, I think, called it about 10 years ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I've been I've been sort of playing around in that world, but I was never really playing the music that I was making out at my, my gigs. You know, I was always playing faster, like house tunes and disco stuff. And then I, I sort of decided like, oh, well, maybe I should focus for the for the next stuff to make stuff that I can actually play out at gigs. And then the whole the whole kind of project then with that one simple change started making a lot more sense to me. It was like, oh yeah, like why haven't I been making music that I would play at my shows before? Like that's such a, it, it makes much more sense and it's like way more cohesive for my artist project as a whole. I guess that's sort of been the theme of the last year has been, I like to liken it to, um, do you know um, Marco Pierre White? Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a famous chef. He was Gordon Ramsay's yeah, mentor. He's got a reputation in the uh, UK, shall oh, we Oh, does say. he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, personality-wise, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's certainly a strong personality. Mm. But there was one thing I really liked where he talks about there's the three levels of for the Michelin stars. He says you get one star for being a good chef and then you get two stars for being, you know, like a good chef and a good restaurateur and you have a good environment and stuff. But then the three stars is really the whole package. It's like, it's the food, it's the restaurant, it's the wine, it's everything all together. And so I, I feel like I, you know, in the past I've been maybe a one and at times perhaps a two star beat cooker, but yeah, lately it's been more about, you know, refining the whole package and getting everything on point you know, the, the artwork, the photos, you know, the content that I'm putting out. So yeah, that's been the theme and I kind of went a bit off track there. But yeah, just, you know, you're only able to figure out these things if you do persist and, and stick with it. And yeah, that's definitely been the thing for me over the last three, four, five years. We've had a check-in about Jar Funk again. Let's go back behind the decks and talk about your mental health journey again, Lockie. So firstly, yeah. tell me how you reflect on your part one, maybe the feedback you got on the Lockie we meet now. Yeah, it was good feedback. I had a few friends reach out and say like they enjoyed listening to that. And yeah, just like hearing open conversations about mental health because it is such an important thing. So yeah, the feedback overall was good. The first part of your mental health journey we're going to discuss is something you alluded to in topic one, which was the improvements you made to your physical health. It started with a little social media idea that you yeah. combined, muscle up, where you basically trained to try and do a full weighted pull up and I believe you're about six four six five, so it's not easy for a big lad to do, yeah. first of all. Explain to the listeners why you combined social media with physical development and obviously the improvements you've seen to your mental your physical health, sorry, and also your mental health. Yeah, I mean, physical health has always been a big part of my life since you know, since I was a teenager. I I think I probably touched on in the last podcast that I grew up playing tennis and, you know, it's basically my life goal up until about 20 years old to become a professional tennis player so I was you know I was training quite hard and yeah just like working out in the gym and stuff from like 16 so it's always been a big part of my life and I've sort of continued that through up until now you know and yeah the, the reason I did it on Instagram was again it was during COVID so I was like oh what might be a fun part of you know my personality to kind of share on here something which I don't do that much and I was like okay let's do this muscle up challenge and see just for something different to the normal music stuff yeah for shits and, and gigs as we would say in the yeah uh, in the UK <laughs> yeah in Australia we say for shigs we've appreciated <laughs> it there <laughs> as we do with everything but yeah yeah it was just like another thing in COVID it was like well I can't go to the gym working out at home is getting kind of boring what's something now like a fun challenge I like to give myself these challenges I find without them I can get a bit lazy and just sort of unfocused undisciplined and that kind of thing so I thought it would be a fun way to give myself a new thing and I'd seen people doing these muscle ups before for people who don't know what it is it's it's not only a pull up but you've actually got to get your whole body on top of the bar and then basically push yourself up over the bar and it's it's very difficult compared like pull ups are difficult in themselves but mm. that thing is a whole you know, it's not just the strength, there's like a technique to it. And it's a lot tougher than it looks as well. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. When you see people doing it, like, I think I saw a guy on Instagram doing it. And I was like, Oh, like, that looks easy. You know, <laughs> let me just try that. And then I went down to the park, obviously, it was not easy at all. And then I went back in, you know, this is one of the things I, I guess I kind of do when I'm when I'm looking to do a new skill is I'll, I'll try to get inspired by just finding people who are, you know, amazing at whatever the thing is. 
So I dug into YouTube and I found this guy who he's able to do like 20 of the things in a row. Bloody um, hell. And uh, yeah, just watching the guys like, oh, this is so easy. And the way he describes it too, like he's talking about how he does it while whilst while he does it, yeah, while he's worse. And he's, you know, he's so calm. He's like, yeah, all you got to do is, you know, just like swing back, you know, make the L shape with your body, and then there it is. And it's like simple as that, yeah, Yeah. simple as that. So yeah, it was yeah, it was just just a fun challenge, which I thought, you know, I find people like to connect to stories and to challenges and stuff that have a little bit of a longer timeline to them rather than just posting a video of me playing guitar you know I also posted on there sort of how I was learning and really getting in behind the scenes into how these things work so that was yeah I guess that was the idea behind the muscle up challenge and it was fine obviously when you were doing it you had a lot of failure first before you succeeded so what did that teach you about the power of perseverance and patience and how did it feel when you finally did one was it the high you expected or not (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think it taught me just once again that you know like failure is just such a necessary part of whatever you're doing you know like you're going to come up against failure in everything that you do and it was you know again just a thing of like there were points like I've been doing it for a couple of days and I was not really getting anywhere and it was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do this. You know, I guess same sort of thing as I was talking about before with the EP, you know, it seemed like such a far out, far stretched thing to be able to do that. But yeah, just kind of believing that it is possible when, and yeah, like like there are points that are going to come up in, in life too, where you think like, I'm not going to be able to get through this. Like, this is just, this is too hard, but you know, you always do and And it's always kind of a surprise to me when, I mean, it it is and it isn't, you know, like I did believe that I could do it and, you know, it only took me seven days in the end, which was much quicker, but I was also, you know, I'd already had quite a good fitness base, but then I, I wanted to get five, you know, that was the next thing. So that took me quite a while, but yeah, that was the main thing. It was just like, just, yeah, just keep doing it. Just stick with it. No matter how hard it is, no matter like how tough and impossible you might think the thing may be. Like if you just keep going, like eventually you will get there. And in terms of the, like the euphoria of when I did it, it was a bit of a shame because the day that I went, I was like, oh, it's my seventh day. I don't think I'll be able to do it today. So I didn't bring my friend, Chris, who was, was also doing it with me at the time. I didn't bring him down that day. And then I kind of surprised myself and did it. It was a bit of like a self-celebration. Like I got down from the bar and I was just like, yes. But I didn't, it was a shame I didn't have Chris there to like do a massive high five and, and celebrate. It's always nice him. celebrating with someone else, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, celebrating by yourself to the phone was uh, not quite what I had in mind, but uh, yeah, it was still it was mm. a nice feeling. When we spoke off air, I found out that you actually can't do a weighted pull-up anymore because of the uh, injuries that you were getting from it. So how do you maintain your physical health now? And do you look back on that as a little bit of a shame or just a natural decision you had to make to preserve your long-term physical health and your, and yeah. your elbows specifically? Yes. Yeah. It was, it was exactly that weighted pull-ups I can still do. It's just that muscle up movement where you actually have to like, you know, go up and then that movement there where you twist the arm forward, it, it puts quite a lot of pressure on the the elbow and the shoulder as well. And I, yeah, my elbow was really sore and shoulder was a bit busted too. So I was like, do I really want to keep doing this and, and injure myself for, you know, I'd already kind of proved that. Clout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd already kind of proved to myself that I could do it. So I was like, well, I'm happy just to stop here and to, just to get back into the gym and, and do some lifts, which are a bit more, yeah, like you said, they have longevity in mind. Yeah, that was the reason behind that. Mm. Let's move on to what you alluded to early in the pub, which was your move to Lisbon, Portugal. So not like the Eurohouse song from Paris to Berlin, but you went from Berlin to Lisbon. And when we first checked in, Loads of artists were living in Berlin and probably still do to some extent now because it was very low housing. Berlin's quite a vibrant city, very For welcoming sure. of immigrants and foreign nationals. So, oh, and also the dance music scene is pretty good. People will know if they know of Berlin and Germany, techno specifically is massive there. However, what I found out from our chat off air is that the city is not as cheap as it used to be. So just tell me about your experience of Berlin, both from a positive perspective and the challenges and why you decided to move to Lisbon at the end of 2021. So I obviously moved there mainly because I, well, I was in the UK before that and I I actually really wanted to stay in London, but I just wasn't able to get a visa there. So, you know, I went back to Australia for a little bit and I was planning to stay in Australia, but after six months, I was like, oh, 
I don't feel like this is the right choice. So I wanted to get back to Europe somewhere, and Berlin was a place like I knew it was it had a good music scene because I'd visited it was already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew a couple of people there, like actually only two people at the time who lived there, and that was enough for me to just go, yeah. Fuck it, I'll I'll move over there and, and we'll just kind of that see. That universal what phrase, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that phrase is quite powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, it could get you into big trouble as well in England. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly can. As Borat says, like that phrase can be it's you know, it's like a monkey with a gun. It can <laughs> it can do some <laughs> it, it can do some quite powerful things. But yeah, for me, like my music career has always been kind of priority number one and so moving there although it was a big move and it certainly came with challenges it was something that I knew I kind of wanted to do and the positives of Berlin there were many you know like it was a it was almost by chance that I became full-time music through moving there because I was I was still tennis coaching at the time and I tried to get a tennis coaching job in Germany but because I didn't speak German then yeah that would be a big thing (laughs) yeah it it was obviously just very difficult and no one wanted to employ me so it kind of forced me into this situation where I was like shit well I literally have no option now but to make something happen with music and it was like you know I I did some more sample packs and you know all the other stuff I mentioned before some mixed down jobs and you know still DJing before COVID kicked in so yeah, it was it was kind of a, a lucky crossroad of I was also probably ready for that, but I just didn't feel like I was. But I actually had built up, you know, my artist profile to the point where I was able to start leveraging it and making some money from it. So that was a massive positive that I didn't expect. And then the other things, you know, like I met a lot of artists, other artists there, and some of the music on my EP came from artists or well, I worked with artists that were in Berlin. So I met a bunch of people there. And it also gave me an insight because the two guys I knew there were these singers whose artist project is called Fat. They're these two guys, Aaron and Cedric. And they were living in Berlin as full-time artists. And just to live with them, I stayed with them for a couple of weeks when I first moved there before I found a place. And just to see that they were actually able to make a living from music. And, you know, there are people out there who are doing this. And just to meet these people and to talk to them, like, how, like, how are you actually doing this you know like how are you living and surviving and and having music as your job so yeah like before that I only had maybe like one or two friends within music who were doing it full-time as well but um, just to meet lots more people in the industry doing it really gave me the confidence to say like yeah okay maybe you know maybe I can do that if there's so many people already who are doing this I for sure I can so that was probably one of the major things there. And then, yeah, the cost of living was a bit cheaper than London as well. Not massively, but... Enough. um, Yeah, enough (laughs) enough for me to be able to live comfortably on, you know, the small amounts of money I was earning back then. I don't think I really probably realized like how massive that was to do that transition from going as tennis coach and music to full-time music. And then also just kind of throwing myself into the deep end was very interesting in that, you know, Moving to London wasn't hard because it's obviously an English-speaking country and it wasn't that hard of a move. But to go to Germany and not know German, but then I ended up learning German, that was a massive thing as well. Like learning a new language, meeting new people within the language class was really cool too. And I think that allowed me to grow quite a lot personally just from putting myself in a slightly uncomfortable situation. Yeah, I find that a lot of the time that's where the most growth Mm. happens. So yeah, it was huge. And then what was the second part? Like just moving to Yeah, Lisbon. why did you make the move to Lisbon and what were some of the challenges? Because you said to me off air, you didn't feel quite as musically connected to Berlin as perhaps other artists, even your Australian peers like Parcels who live there. Yeah, so so Berlin, from my perspective, there's a couple of scenes there. There's the dance music scene where you've got, you know, obviously the techno and house music and stuff like that. Ben Clock, um, mate. Exactly. <laughs> Berkine, you know the score. So I didn't quite fit into that world, although it was something that I really liked, like house music. When I DJ, I I definitely play some house tunes. So I was able to connect to that. But my music is, like as we talked about before, it's in this R&B sort of funk dance crossover. And I didn't fit really 100% into that. And then there's the other side of it is like the pop, Mm -hmm. sort of the pop music side of things where a lot of, you know, a lot of people move there, you know, they sign publishing deals and, and live there as writers, you know, doing sort of writing for big German pop artists and or doing their own projects and stuff like that. And I didn't quite fit into that world either because mine was more of a, you know, I'm, again, I'm in between these these two places. So I never really felt 100% connected. I was, I was maybe working with, like on my own music anyway, maybe like one or two artists. By the time I left Berlin, there was like one 
yeah, really one guy that I was working with on on music and I was like, well, I'm not really digging my roots into this scene nor do I feel like I kind of want to just because I don't fit in massively here. And then from a lifestyle perspective, it was a little bit tough as well because Berlin's quite a cold, you know, like grey, dark, a lot of people... Industrial, would... hence why techno is so big. Yes, yeah. Industrial techno is what it's called. <laughs> yeah, and like I think I said to you before off air as well, like before I moved to Berlin, I didn't really understand techno as a whole, but after moving to Berlin, I was like, oh yeah, this, you know, the, aesthetic, <laughs> yeah, the aesthetic of the city really matches this kind of music. So I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of get it now. But yeah, like coming from Australia, I've obviously been spoiled too with the kind of environment that I've grown up in. Like I'm used to the beach and the sun just every single day and, and the sharks. And this kind of thing. Yeah, 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 and the sharks. I mean, that was one of the positives of Berlin. It was like the animals there, they can't kill you. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. that was good. But yeah, I definitely felt like I was just getting a little bit down and, mm. you know, like I'm missing those things. So I went over to Lisbon in 2021. A friend of mine, Chris Fabiche, he'd already moved here. And after like a couple of weeks there, I was like, yeah, wow, this is this definitely feels a lot more like a place that I want to live and I could actually enjoy living. You know, there's the beach here, the weather's mm. great. It's that increased a- your creativity as well, this being in that, you know, people talk about seasonal affective disorder and bad weather affecting their mood, but did the positive weather actually affect your ability to create? I haven't experienced it yet. Okay. (laughs) I think there's also two sides to it. It's probably, it's a challenge in a way because it's so nice outside almost every single day that it's tough to stay inside. You know, like you just want to be out. Like I go to the beach pretty much every day. I'm I'm just five minutes away from there. So like, yeah, sometimes it's tough to to stay in and and make music. And I, I actually found like in Berlin and London to a degree as well, like that shitty weather actually had a, a massive positive effect on my music because it was like well there's nothing else to do like I can't go outside it's pissing down with rain and it's cold and it's dark (laughs) yeah you're forced yeah why yeah why would I want to go outside but yeah it's definitely going to influence it in a good way the thing for me recently has been balance and and learning to balance all of those things so yeah I'm sure it will and we spoke off air as well that you the fact that you haven't learned too much Portuguese yet but (laughs) given the fact that you learned German Obviously, Portuguese, I think on balance, is probably a little bit harder to learn than German. German has a lot of the dirty audaces, and you've got to know exactly which one relates to which word, sort of yeah. brain memory-wise. But Portuguese is obviously very hard, accents-wise, and all sorts of other things. Is that something that you'd like to give a challenge to as well? Yeah, I'm definitely going to get to it at some point. It was, yeah, I'd spent about a year in, my last year in Berlin was spent at a language school there, like pretty full-time and not out of choice either it was something that I had to do for my visa and I was at this school for like four hours a day five days a week for about nine months it was very intense and I and you know I asked my teacher I was like how like how do people manage if they've got a job and like family and kids and stuff and she was like yeah like they basically just don't there's (laughs) classic (laughs) classic German humor there for you yeah (laughs) Yeah, people like you have to go to a if like if you got a job, for example, they make you go to this night class, which is like seven till ten PM. And I was like, God, like wow. imagine having a full day at work and then you gotta to go to this fucking school for like three or four hours in the evening. That would suck. But I was lucky that I was able to do it in the morning, get it out of the way, and then have the afternoons at least to to do work. But yeah, I just needed to to have a break from the languages and sort of focus on my music and and that for at least a year. So I'm gonna spend a year here without learning Portuguese just so I can focus on that. And then I think after that, I'll start slowly getting into it, mm. um, jumping into a course. So, yeah. The final part of your mental health journey we're going to talk about is the importance of connection when it comes to Lisbon and moving to this new country. It's a fairly difficult native language, despite the lovely weather. And it's very easy for people to feel isolated, you know, especially in these big cities. Lisbon isn't mm. as big as London, but I'm sure there are similarities in a lot of senses. So how did you ensure you avoided this when you moved here? And what are the main tools that you've used to combat it? Yeah, it's it's definitely something like I'm sure loads of people have experienced it who have moved to a new place and you maybe don't have your closest friends around you. I've found for me, it's it's certainly been an easier move than moving to Berlin just because I already knew more people here. Like one of my oldest friends, I was living with him at the beginning. So that was like a massive help just to start on on that kind of yeah to have that kind of start and like have a guy around who's basically my best friend and I've known for years was awesome and then yeah the climate and the kind of lifestyles I mentioned is quite similar to Oz so that was you know relatively easy to slip into too 
but yeah, you still kind of face those challenges. Like you mentioned of, I had my friend, but now that we've moved, I'm in a, a like he's moved to a, a city that's like an hour away from where I am. So I'm a little bit more isolated out here. Yeah. I just find it's important to, yeah, just kind of accept that, you know, there is going to be a time period of, you know, things are going to be maybe a little bit tricky. You've got to go out and meet some people and, and just find the right people who you're going to sort of fit in and mix with. I, I find that's a really, that's been the theme over the last three months here is like I'd spent a lot of time just going out and meeting like as many people as I could yeah there were certainly some people that I didn't get along with as well and and then I eventually was able to find like oh yeah these these are the, you know now the people who I feel we could actually build a friendship here and build a nice circle of, of people who I can talk to about anything you know we're very open and honest with each other yeah having those like friendship circles finding your right the right people for you is I think that's that's such a key part of moving anywhere and it just takes some time so being aware of that is is key too and let's reflect then before we move on to our final topic which is a very short one what has this part of your continued mental health journey taught you about yourself um I think this part like moving to Lisbon has taught me that it's certainly an ongoing process like there are certainly times that you know, everything's great. You think you're just nailing it on every front and those times are awesome. But I think you're always going to face new challenges and sometimes you don't expect them to come up. And like, you know, for me, it was a thing of like, oh, I'm, like, this is weird. I've just moved to a new place. Like I'm loving it here, but I'm, I'm not feeling like as great as I probably thought that I would. And, and I was like, why is that? So I think just acknowledging those feelings and going like, nah, I think there's, there's definitely something up here. Let me investigate it a little bit. And I think the most useful thing from that has been once I was able to find some friends here and being able to chat to them about this stuff, having those conversations and just vocalizing your thoughts has been a really massive thing for me. It's like I can get so much in my own head and I might start <laughs> concocting up these these wild ideas and you know reasons for why I'm maybe not feeling so good and then you vocalize it and sometimes it can actually be quite simple like you know my friend might be like oh have you been eating good like have you been sleeping well have you been doing this it's like oh no I actually haven't maybe I should sort that out uh, getting enough sunlight and stuff like that so um yeah having people that you can talk to I think that's been a big lesson and just yeah just talking to people and communicating when you have these sorts of feelings, that's been a big part for me. The final part of our pod is a little discussion about our friendship, Lockie. It's going to be a bit more free-flowing and you're going to take the mantle in a second and be the interviewer. <laughs> so the first thing I'd like to say to you first is, is a bit of a thank you in your part in the journey event. You were the first DJ slash producer to come on Behind the Decks you also helped me connect with Sean, your old mate, aka Ninth Floor Funk Apartment, Jan, aka Pastel. Funky District messaged me to come on the show after listening to your episode and Pastel's episodes, which for a little podcast music nerd like me, I, I never had to do before. So thank you for that. So uh, yeah, take it away and ask me any questions you want. Yeah, no, my pleasure to intro me to those guys. I just, yeah, like when we had that first chat, I just really liked what you were doing and, you know, you bring such a positive thing to the music industry. I was like, well, naturally I'd want to help you and, and sort of get some of my other friends involved as well. But yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to sort of ask you about your journey from when we talked a while ago. And one particular theme, which I thought would be interesting to talk about, which has been relevant to me recently was that, um, you know, like you said, a lot of the time, sometimes the balance of life can be, you know, skewed in a certain direction. And for me lately, it's been, you know, I found myself being pulled in so many different directions. Like there's, there's sample pack stuff, there's production for other artists, there's some remixing work that's come in, which I've kind of had to focus on because they're offering like quite decent fees. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's meant also that I've had to take time away from, you know, the thing which I actually really like doing, which is making my own original stuff. So I was wondering if you've faced challenges like that where you've found that, you know, you're being pulled just in, you know, 10 different ways and how do you sort of manage that and bring the balance back? Mm. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think the big positive that I've got at the moment is that my full-time job gives me quite a lot of balance. You know, I obviously work nine to five, but I've got a really supportive boss and, you know, if I need to say to him, you know, I've got a dentist appointment at X time, I can go do that. And I'm 
pretty productive so I can sometimes find the time on like a lunch break just have a podcast chat with someone and do a little overview phone call or you know I'm not finishing at eight o'clock every night I don't do pods on weekdays so that helps me as well just to give myself some some time to just decompress you know sometimes it presents a challenge for guests who don't live that life and they're more weekday focused but you know that's just something I have to take and if the guest is uh, big enough or a celebrity enough, then they will probably book a day off for it. But, you know, they have to be big enough to be worth that and use yeah. my annual leave. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting challenge. For me, doing the pod on weekends isn't work for me. I still have to fit my life around it. But, you know, if it was work, then I wouldn't enjoy it because I'd be taking myself away from my weekends. The main challenge I would say in answer to your question, I do find is that I joke with a lot of people that I fit my life around the pod, not the pod around my life. But... I do live on my own and sometimes it does present challenges thereby where if I want to try and meet new people, I'm sort of stuck in the catch 22 where if I don't put pods in on a weekend, I'll be like, what do I do with my weekend? Or I won't have like an alternative option. But then if I do fill my pods, sometimes I might cancel on something else or, you know, I have to fit like I went out last night and I messaged you saying, can we put the pod back an hour? Because I'll probably be a little bit hungover. I'm not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it is an interesting one. I don't think I'm probably pulled in as many directions as you, but there are certainly things that I f- probably find challenging. You know, I want to set up vent as a CIC at some point and make it kind of more official. But, you know, I haven't had the mental capacity to write all the legalese for it yet so yeah it's an interesting question and I I feel like I've got some sort of an answer to it but obviously I can always do more and always improve but yeah it's definitely definitely a challenge when your workload increases and your responsibilities increase and you know as I joke to you a lot there's no money in mental health so (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not changing anytime soon (laughs) (laughs) hopefully hopefully that's not true but yeah okay that's interesting so I mean I guess like you said, the podcast seems to be for you anyway, at least something which you really enjoy doing. So like, I guess it is a priority to, you know, on your weekends to have it in there and make sure, you know, you're doing stuff that you like to do. So that's cool. My second thing I wanted to ask you, which is something you sort of asked me about earlier, which was mm-hmm. that if there's maybe one or two things that you've, you know, that you've learned about yourself through doing the very first podcast and then now three years down the track, there's, it's obviously been a, a journey in itself. Mm. So is there something that comes to mind for you that, uh, yeah, you've learned just about yourself or about Mm. doing the podcast or whatever? Do you know what? When I ask this question, it normally floors my guests a lot of the time. And then when (laughs) I get asked it, I'm kind of like, oh, even though I should have really prepared for this answer, I'm kind of thinking about it as well. What has it taught me about myself doing the pod? Well, the pod and vent has changed my life in many ways, I would say. You know, I went from being just a massive music nerd to now interviewing artists, which is just it always is surreal for me to interview artists and just interview people that I never thought would be able to come on the pod or I would get to know. And now they're my friends, which is always surreal. I think I was always a good listener, but even more of a good listener to be and to actively try and be. Mm-hmm. I think it's made me a very, very non-judgmental person. I don't think I was that judgy to start with, but I think it's just massively decreased that. I think it's increased my capacity to feel empathy for a load of different people from different backgrounds and I think I've got a sense of perhaps maybe not forgiveness is the right word but I think we're losing that concept a little bit in today's society you know cancel culture and all that stuff so perhaps yeah like if somebody does something yeah that you don't like then you know not just being completely done with them Yeah. yeah exactly mate and I always cherish interviewing people from all different political backgrounds as well. We don't talk about politics, but I enjoy that because I think it humanizes them mm. and perhaps builds bridges in the sense that people can have different opinions and they can get along with each other. You know, they might not discuss those subjects, but that's fine. Like it's great to do that. Yeah. So I think that's it's definitely made me more self-aware in that sense. Uh, what else has it taught me? Just um, one thing on that um, yeah, that's go on, come mate. to mind. That's also been an interesting theme for me over yeah, like the last couple of months is yeah, like I find, you know, it doesn't matter, even your closest friends, like there's definitely going to be situations and things that come up, which, you know, that they might do something or say something which you don't like. But I find for me personally, it's about that balance of is what like the sort of energy dynamic are they, are they bringing more to the table on the positive yes. side for me, like than the negative side. And then mm. if that balance is swung at the positive side, then that for me is like a green flag to say, okay, yeah, mm. I'm happy to 
you know, to keep being friends, like we can sort of work through this. But yeah, how do you deal with that? If you, like you said, there's that sort of forgiveness and being able Mm -hmm. to forgive and to how do you manage those challenges where something might happen that you, you're not cool with, Mm. but you still want to be friends and in touch with this person? How do you manage those situations? I think the great thing about male friendships is that we can iron out conflict perhaps more quickly and direct stereotypically of course don't cancel me in a way that perhaps female friendships (laughs) don't yeah don't often do as often do I should say so I do try and make a habit of if I have a conflict with someone that I genuinely have a long-term friendship with and I want to keep that friendship I'm like right let's sort it out I'll hear your feedback you hear mine I'll accept certain things maybe or we'll just agree disagree and and then we can just sort it out and carry on I think I'm quite good at that I think it's an interesting question about what you said about filtering out people because I think I have not maybe lost friends doing Vent and the podcast, but I think certain relationships and friendships that were more looser have perhaps disappeared or gone away because of maybe the subjects that I tackle. I like to tackle quite a lot of stigmatized and taboo subjects. Perhaps mm-hmm. that's changed people's perceptions of me. I don't know. But I think it's made my my circle tighter. And I think Vent and the community I've built has given me this foundation whereby if I do lose those acquaintances, I'm like, well, I've got all of these new people that I value massively and I've got my existing close circle that I value massively too. And that's great. Mm. And and those people will always support me. Yeah. So I think with all of the guests that I've interviewed, a lot of them I've stayed in contact now. I've, you know, I'm good friends with. So having that community of support and and supporting them has been a massive pillar in my life for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I would say a similar thing. I think it's just natural in life too that, you know, people change, like I certainly change. And I think as a result of that, you know, the people that you connect with just mm. vary and change over time as well. And it's, I think it's okay to just to sort of follow your your gut feeling and spend mm. spend time with the people that you are connecting with the most and like if something naturally maybe slides off it it kind of sucks if you mm-hmm. especially if you've had a history with mm-hmm. that person and you know you've spent a lot of time together it can feel a bit sad to go yeah. oh this is a bit weird like why is this mm. all of a sudden not right but I think it's it's also okay to kind of let those things happen you know and it's best for both people if, it, if it's really not working yeah. then just to yeah to be able to kind of let it go is mm. is okay too it's mm. not it's not the end of the world yeah for sure man I think it's made me less triggered by those sort of situations now I think when my mental health wasn't as sorted out I would care so much more about what people said or how I've offended someone or something like that but I'm very much not apologetic for myself anymore and being myself and people who know me have to take me as I am and I'm not going to apologize being myself the rough and the, the smooth so I think I'm a lot better at taking those situations as I think in a better way, like if someone lashes out on me, I'm not like going to lash out back. I'm kind of more, I've got a better perspective on looking at it like, oh, okay, well, if I respond to them, I'm just going to be like, oh, I hope you're okay. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, rah, 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 and go back at them because mm. their lashing out might be a projection of what's going on in their life. And if yeah. that affects our friendship and that's sad and I'll, I'll let it go, but I know I've got this previous foundation of, of friends to, to fall back on. So, yeah. Yeah, man, that's interesting. No, that uh, covers basically everything I, I had for you. Oh, bro. So thanks, thanks for your insights. <laughs> no worries, man. This section was a lot more free-flowing, so I've got a lot more filler in my, my answers I'll have to take out in the edit process. <laughs> Lockie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the Just Checking In podcast and Behind The Decks. Thank you so much for being here, mate. Thanks for having me once again. It's been great. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Lockie, a.k.a. Jarfunk, for coming back on and letting me go Behind the Decks with him again. My favourite new Jarfunk track, The Baddest, will play us out, and I'll put all of Jarfunk's streaming and social media links in the show notes, as always. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you've been generous, write us a review, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please help us out with the algorithms so the podcast can be shown to more people. You can support us at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or you can buy a Vent t-shirt 
All of those links are on our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Royalty on the rocks, let's drink the potion, honesty.